Amen. Are you ready to study God's Word this morning? Get your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be reading in just a moment from 1 Corinthians. This is our third installment in uh, what I have just called dealing with your dysfunction. We've mentioned that everybody's got a little dysfunction in them. If for no other reason than all of us have been born in the predicament of sin, and because of that selfish bent inside of all of us, there's going to be a little dysfunction. I do not care how together you may be or think you may be, everybody's got areas of their life that they can work on. And if you'd like to get the previous two installments, you can stop by the information desk and pick up a CD or you can uh, access iTunes through our website and you can listen to that uh, free of charge. But what I'm doing is I'm attempting to mass counsel and help everyone find some keys to getting back to the way life was meant to be lived. A life was designed and intentioned by God to be lived with a sense of joy, a sense of peace, a sense of prosperity, a sense of hope, and a sense of abundance. Now, I am well aware of the fact that many, many people do not uh, have those attributes going on in their life. And a lot of times, it is not, uh, well, it's not God's fault. It's really not at times even the enemy's fault. Sometimes it's that we're not putting some pieces together in our life that uh, we need to put together in order that we can live life more abundantly. And, and I'm, I'm going to mention this a little bit later as well, that anytime something's not operating according to design, the enemy will exploit that. And, and so we've got to get life back in order, life by design, in order to enjoy these things. Here in just a moment, I'm going to show you a movie clip from one of my most favorite movies of all. Some of you have seen it. It's What About Bob? Anybody here ever seen the movie What About Bob? I'm telling you, I just, every, I, I was watching clips a day or two ago and I, I've seen it for years and every time I watch it, I laugh. It's the story of a man played by Bill Murray who has every dysfunction or phobia or psychological issue known to man uh, happening in his life. He has all. He has. He is. He is absolutely shut down uh, psychologically, and he he finds his his perfect psychiatrist, and he begins to pursue him for the answers to his problem. And the DVD uh, clip that you're about to see is that his psychiatrist has gone on vacation, has left town for a month, and he cannot imagine living a month without getting to visit with his psychiatrist. So he, uh, very skillfully, with cunning and deceit and trickery, finds out where his psychiatrist has gone on vacation. And he goes with all of his dysfunctions to find his psychiatrist on vacation. And the clip you're going to see uh, overhead is, is Bob actually riding partially on the bus and finally finding his psychiatrist on vacation. Easy, fella, we're almost there. False alarm. (laughs) 
a little bit, but don't be mad. Bob, your behavior is completely inappropriate. You're angry. No, no, I don't get angry. Well, you're upset. <laughs> I don't get upset. Well, then let's have a little talk. Bob, I do not see patients on vacation ever. How many ways can I make that clear? Now, what I'd like you to do is to get on this bus and go back to New York. I can't. I'm totally paralyzed. I'm all locked up. You got yourself here. Barely. Well, Getting back will be therapeutic. But can't we just have a little talk? Bob, you are testing my patience. Come on, I've come so far. Bob. I'm baby-stepping. I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm baby-stepping. I'm not a slacker. Listen to me. Check Listen. it out. Look at I'm in really bad shape. Come on, please. Bob. Please. Bob. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I Bob. need, Bob. I need, I need. Bob. Give me, give okay, me, okay. please. All right, all right, please. all right. All right, it's 2 o'clock. Go to the bus station, buy yourself a ticket home, and then... Wait for me in that coffee shop. You'll meet me? I'll call you in two hours. Oh, my God, you're the greatest. No, 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 just, just, you have to promise me that you will buy your ticket and go home. Absolutely. I'm going to do, do it right now. All right, I'll call you at 4 o'clock. You couldn't possibly make it 3.30, could you? Bob! 4, 4, okay, exactly, 4 o'clock. It's better, okay? Thank you, Dr. M. That's just a brief clip on a really funny movie about how Bob has decided that he is going to find the answer to all of his problems, and he believes he's found that in his uh, psychiatrist, Dr. Marvin. Now, the key to Bob was, if you'll ever watch the whole film, the key to Bob's need was, is that he needed, he needed a mentor. He needed a father figure. He needed somebody in his life that would help him with his life to get it to where he knew it needed to be. And believe it or not, that is a biblical or a Christian concept. And so I, I want to share with you some things this morning as I'm giving you these precepts about breaking out of your dysfunction and dealing with your dysfunction. And today's message I entitled, Finding and Following a mentor finding and following a mentor have you found first corinthians chapter four have you, all right everyone who's found first corinthians four say i got it all right if you don't have it i believe the guys may get it up on the screen overhead i'm going to read a couple verses here and then i'm going to leap over to the book of hebrews so keep your fingers nimble first corinthians four 
verse 15. This is what Paul writes. He says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate. In fact, literally, in the original Greek, it means follow. Follow me, he says. Now, jump over to uh, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 1. Listen to what he says here. He says, imitate. It's the word that's translated in my version. But literally, you could translate it, follow, he says, me, just as I also imitate or follow Christ. And then finally, the last passage I want to read to you is over in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 7, Hebrews 13, verse 7, we read these words. It says, remember those who rule over you, some of your versions may say who lead you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith, it says, follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. So the writer of Hebrews says, that those who bring leadership in your life or those that you recognize as leaders in your life, he says, follow, because you're to note the fruit or the outcome or or, or some of the uh, repercussions, the good repercussions of how it is they have lived their life. Paul ostensibly says the same thing. He says, imitate me. Isn't that rather bold? I thought that was rather bold. Imitate me. Follow me, he says, as I follow Christ. And so... We're needing to implement in our life. Now, we're talking about dysfunction, and we're learning about precepts as to how to break that dysfunction. You need to find and follow a mentor. My personal belief is that the reason there is so much dysfunctional living in our nation and our culture is due to the fact that we have lost the general concept of what it means to be a parent. Now, it's not only parent in the biological sense, But it's parent in the spiritual sense as well. I believe that both naturally and spiritually, we have lost the concept of parent. A parent in Bible times was essentially a caregiver. A parent was a nurturer. A parent was also a teacher. You know, they didn't have public schools in Bible times. In fact, all the schooling and education that took place in Bible times literally took place, most of it, within the home. So parents were teachers and they were obviously mentors to their children. Now, as you begin to consider that, you know, they weren't being, they weren't being parceled off to an academic setting. They weren't being parceled off to a government organization, but the children of those days, as they would get their life skills, they were being taught and they were modeled through the parents as they grew up in the house. The girls at that time learned primarily the traditional skills of what we would probably ascribe to the female gender. They would probably have learned how to clean. They would have probably learned cooking, caregiving, nurturing skills, how to be a mom, all the things that we might associate traditionally with the woman's job description. The boys were probably taught traditional trade skills. They were taught how to be farmers, how to do carpentry, how to do hunting, all of these sorts of things. And the kids were taught by mom and dad. Now, it worked that way spiritually as well. People 
the kids originally would learn spiritual precepts from their parents. They would be taught their religion. They would be taught their faith basis there in the home. And then uh, perhaps after a while, if they felt like they were called, they would become followers of rabbis or followers of teachers. Some were followers of prophets or philosophers. And they would learn truth by listening and watching these mentors begin to do life. In fact, in Paul's day, they're already beginning to face this this problem of losing mentors because what he says is this. He says, you've got 10,000 teachers, but not many fathers. Now, what he was saying here is this. He's saying, we have lots of information getting disseminated. We have lots of instruction going out to people. There are lots of books that you can go get at your local bookstore. There are, there are DVDs and cassettes that you can watch and you can listen to. There are all sorts of ways that you can gather information from teachers. He says the problem is not that we don't have instruction. He says the problem is we don't have fathers. Now, you can read that and lay it at the doorstep, perhaps, of our biological dads. And I'm sure that that would be an appropriate application at some levels but Paul was saying something far deeper than just that as important as that is he was saying that we don't have mentors we don't have spiritual mentors we access all kinds of information is it not fascinating to you to think that in almost all of our homes I would imagine there is a computer hooked up to an internet access each of us here can access incredible amounts of information on any conceivable topic we could even begin to think about is this not interesting and despite the fact that we can access it if you have dsm you can access it at lightning speed i'll never forget when we went from the telephone hookup to direct service through the cable you remember telephone hookup now it's like, bam, I mean, if you if I have to go to a telephone hookup station, I feel like I'm in the dark ages. Doesn't your perspective change in a hurry? But you can go to your house and in split seconds get this information. And despite the fact that we live in a nation that's got the information superhighway, the internet going everywhere, we are as dysfunctional a culture as we have ever been. Isn't that amazing? Information at our fingertips. But we live dysfunctional lives. You see, God's method was to find someone who had some more experience, some more knowledge, some more wisdom than you had. And for you to begin to glean off them what they have learned through their walk in life. You could look at their life, according to the Hebrew writer, and you could begin to see that they were doing some things right. And what would happen is you would begin to follow them and see what they were doing. I mean, literally with your own eyes, you could begin to watch what they were doing and how they were doing it. You know, years ago, I was uh, teaching this precept and uh, I was greatly criticized over this concept. I mean, I had I had people criticizing me because what they heard with their ears was this. They heard with their ears what they thought I was saying was this. Well, we're to follow man. And the Bible says that we're to follow Jesus. 
And so what they, what they heard was as if I was somehow either replacing myself or replacing people with who should be in the Lord's place. And so there was this whole critique that came out that said, you don't follow a man, you only follow Jesus. Well, that's true, but read the whole Bible. Paul said to follow him as he followed Jesus. The key is that you just don't follow anyone, but find someone who's got life working somewhat right in our dysfunctional time period. Follow someone who's following Jesus, and if they're following Jesus, you can latch hold of what's going on in their life, and they will point you to the Master. That's what it's all about. I mean, I believe that to be true. You shouldn't follow anyone but Jesus. But the problem is the same people that say, I don't follow anyone but Jesus are the same people who are as weird as a $3 bill sometimes. I mean, they are as dysfunctional as can be. Their whole life is out of order. Usually they're isolated. Usually they're lone rangers. Usually they're unteachable, uncorrectable because they're just going to follow Jesus. And the problem is life is falling apart as they're giving their testimony. I only follow Jesus. Now, I'm just getting really real. Now, I want you to follow Jesus, but what does that look like? See? We'll find someone who is beginning to demonstrate what that kind of looks like. That doesn't mean they're Jesus. No, it doesn't. It just means they've got a little bit more than you've got. Maybe they got a little bit more wisdom. Maybe they got a little bit more experience. Maybe they're a few steps ahead of you. Hey, if somebody's a few steps ahead of me, I'll watch them and I'll find Jesus in that. Now, hear me, there are going to be two ways that you're going to learn anything. You can write these down, and I will assure you, you may not believe me, but I'll assure you I am right and you are wrong. Two ways you're going to learn anything. The first way you will learn things is through mentors. Those who have the experience and knowledge to pass things on to you so you will not waste the time or the experience or the hardship they may have faced in order to have that wisdom. Wouldn't that be a good thing? That you could avoid the lessons that mentor learned by simply listening to them. I would think that would be a value. Now, if you choose to say, no, I don't know that I want to do that. Then the second way we learn things is through mistakes. You will experience life making the same mistakes others have made. You will go through life feeling the same pain others have felt because you decided you wanted to do it on your own and not listen to those who've already walked down that path. No, you were convinced they didn't know what they were talking about. It would be different for you. Somehow or another, you're the exception to the rule. So you're going to do it your way. And what happens is you experience pain. And pain is an incredible teacher. I don't know about you, but after a while, if I'm in enough pain, I learn quick. And these are the two primary ways every human being is going to learn anything. Listen to me. If you will find mentors in your life, mentors are wisdom without the pain. Mentors are success without the weight. Mentors are your bridge to the future without the toll because they've already paid that price. Now that seems simple enough, but why is it that it seems like our culture has become so 
dysfunctional. Well, there are two foundational reasons that have to be have to be addressed in your life and in my life in order for foundations to begin to be right so we can begin to build life again as God has intended it. Two foundational reasons society has become dysfunctional. Number one is that we have abdicated the role of parents in our society. Now, I'm not just talking biological. I am certainly applying it to that, but it's broader than that. Not just your biological concept of parent. Well, let me just say this. Let me just stop here. Until we learn that making a baby isn't what it's all about. I mean, we got that down, don't we? I mean, we got that down in schools. We'll hand kids all sorts of birth control devices and all sorts of things in order to assist them in making babies or avoiding making babies. We got the procedure down pretty good. What schools need nowadays is a class on responsibility. Say, so, so I'd like to see a program on that. But we've abdicated the concept of parent in our society. The primary reason for dysfunction is the most basic level of mentoring, and that's parenting. It's the most basic human need that we all have, and we can't be successful without it. Truth is, when we were growing up, is this not true? Nobody threw us a manual or sent us to a class. Like when you went to high school, when you were in high school, or even when you went to college, I never found a class in the syllabus that said, how to do life 101. I never found one. And nobody ever threw me a book or something or gave me a class that said, this is how you do life. Nobody told us what to expect when we became a teenager. I wish I wish I had the sense as a teenager and I wish there would have been opportunity for someone to help me begin to understand how to do life. Nobody taught me as a college student what it meant to do life. Nobody taught me what it meant to be a good employee when I went to my first job. Nobody taught us. I mean, for some of us here, it may have been different, but for a lot of people, nobody teaches them how to balance a checkbook. Nobody teaches them how to use a credit card. Nobody knows how overdraft protection works. I mean, when my kids were little, they didn't understand how an ATM machine worked. They just knew that daddy pushed some buttons and out came money. And there was one time they wanted to go out to dinner. And I said, well, we just really can't afford that and do that tonight. And one of them said, no, no, daddy, just go to the machine and push the button. Because they thought as long as I kept pushing the button, money kept coming out of it. There are some adults that still believe that to this day. We weren't taught how to treat a woman. We weren't taught how to iron our clothes. We weren't taught how to cook a meal. We weren't taught how to sew on a button. Some of us may have received a little counseling before we got married. I don't know about you, I needed a few more classes. Nobody gave me a manual at the hospital when we had Clay as our firstborn and how to be a parent. I'll never forget. Tracy was in there and had Clayton and there was just a couple days of recovery and they, they gave us a few diapers and a little formula and he was wrapped up and put in my arms and, and can you believe it? They let us go. They just let us go. And I'll never forget going home saying, don't we have to be certified or something? No. Isn't there something that we need to, to know or to do? And I remember thinking, I cannot believe they are letting me go with this child. In fact, our first night home, I've told this story before. 
Our first night home with Clay, we were so, I hate to admit this, we just didn't know anything. And all we knew was when a baby cried, there was usually just a couple things that meant. It either meant his diaper was needing to be changed or he was hungry. In fact, we didn't really, we, we hadn't gotten any further than that. And so Clayton was fussy that first night and his diaper was dry. And so we fed him and he was still fussy. And so we fed him and he was still fussy and we fed him. And oh, we fed him and fed him and fed him. And I'm not, if there would have been a pin and you could have popped him and that would have been legal, it would have just popped formula. I mean, he was, his tummy was as hard as a rock filled with formula. And, and he was just fussy, fussy, fussy. And finally we called the 24 hour nurse and we asked the nurse why he was so fussy. And she said, well, what have you done? And we told how we fed him and we fed him and we fed him. And she was on the other end and said, then quit feeding him. You fed him so much. I know he's uncomfortable now. And so we said, what do you do? And she said, I'm sorry. You got to wait for nature to take care of this one. And I'm telling you, a few hours later, he had one of those little jumper suits, you know, with the, 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 the footies in it and everything was just, it was a one piece sleeper. That's, uh, that's the technical name for it. That's a sleeper. See, I'm a dad. I don't know what those things are called. Nobody gave me a manual. See, that's the problem. So, so he's got this sleeper on and nature took its course. And I'm here to tell you that sleeper from its footy to its neck was filled with used formula. I'll never forget when we grabbed him, picked him up, peeled that sleeper off of him. He was chin to toenail in that stuff. And I'm looking at Trace and we're going, what are we going to do? You know, and she starts going for the, the, the wipes. And I'm saying, no, 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 it'll take, it'll take that whole box of wipes if we were to do that. Let's just take him to the sink and blow him off with the. And she goes, you can't do that. You'll traumatize him. That was good enough for the dog. I figured it'd work for the baby. But you see, nobody taught me that. Nobody showed me that. Nobody helped me with that. Nobody mentored. They just handed me the baby and said, have a nice life. These things were supposed to be addressed by mentors. And to be candid, a lot of these things should be addressed by parents. You know, it's interesting how all of this has shifted through the years. Some of you grew up in a time where you, you will remember that school, you would go to school. You remember this? And you, the girls would go to home economics class. You remember that? Anybody old enough to remember that? I remember they'd send the girls off to home economics. They'd send the boy off to an engines class, shop class. And we'd learn how to use shop equipment. We'd learn how to change oil in our vehicles. And the girls would learn how to cook and keep home. I mean, I understand. And nowadays, that wouldn't even be politically correct. I understand. Of course, nowadays, nobody knows how to keep their home right. And nobody knows how to change the oil either. So it's amazing to see what the repercussion of this. I used to think it was the greatest thing in the world if you got invited by the girls' home at class. Because they'd only, like, get two, two guinea pigs. Two guys, I mean. Two guys. That would come and they would have cooked dinner for you. I mean, that was a really cool thing if you were invited to go. But, but, but you remember that. You remember how we used to... I remember a class in 10th grade that I went to that they taught you how to keep a checkbook register. 
And, and, and you had to learn how to do that. But we don't do that anymore. There's no such thing as that even anymore. Oh, oh, we do know our kids know how to have safe sex. They do know that. Now they understand that. They know how to, they know how to use a condom. They know how to do these things. They understand all of these things. They understand how Johnny might have two daddies. They understand all of these things. They're sexually astute at age 13, but they can't handle their credit card. They understand the birds and the bees intricately. But they don't know how to be married. They don't know simple manners. They don't know how to open doors. They don't know what it means to, to, to not be rude. They don't understand. They don't understand. They can't do their homework. They can't wash their clothes. They can't mow the lawn. They can't keep a job. Do you understand? If they can't mow a lawn, they'll never live in a nice neighborhood. Do you understand that? You have just relegated them to probably a rotten neighborhood or they're going to spend more money getting someone who knows how to mow a lawn. Now, I know that sounds silly, but it's true. They are unprepared absolutely to do life. I received the other day on my email site a, uh, a letter to the editor. I know because of who I got it from, some of you probably have already read it and received it, but it was so good, I'm going to read it to you again this morning. It was a letter to the editor that was entitled, A Different Drug Problem. A Different Drug Problem. Listen to this. The other day, someone at a store in our town read that a methamphetamine lab had been found in an old farmhouse in the adjoining county, and he asked me a rhetorical question. Why didn't we have a, why didn't we have a drug problem when you and I were growing up? I replied, we did. I had a drug problem when I was young. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning. I was drugged to church for weddings and funerals. I was drugged to family reunions and community socials, no matter the weather. I was drugged by my ears when I was disrespectful to adults. I was also drugged to the woodshed when I disobeyed my parents and I told a lie. I brought home a bad report card, did not speak with respect, spoke ill of the teacher or the preacher, or if I didn't put forth my best effort in everything that was asked of me. I was drugged to the kitchen sink to have my mouth washed out with soap if I uttered a profanity. I was drugged out to pull weeds in mom's garden and flower beds and cuckleburrs out of dad's field. I was drugged to the homes of family, friends, and neighbors to help out some poor soul who had no one to mow the yard, repair the clothesline, or chop some firewood. And if my mother had ever known that I took a single dime as a tip for this kindness, she would have drugged me back to the woodshed. Those drugs are still in my veins. And they affect my behavior in everything I do, say, or think. They are stronger than cocaine, crack, or heroin. And if today's children had this kind of drug problem, America would be a better place. God bless the parents who drugged us. I thought that's pretty good. But we went through, hear me now, I'm just talking historically. We went through a time period... When those, and again, this has taken several generations, but that group of people that went through the 1960s, that went through Woodstock and went through everything else that took place in the 60s generation, when they came to the place of parenthood, they decided they wanted to have friends instead of kids. They decided they wanted to have peers instead of children. And we suddenly lost the concept of who's the mentor here? Who's the parent here? Who's the spiritual mom, the spiritual dad at this particular time 
in our life. And so uh, we need to realize that the first foundational reason we become dysfunctional is we've abdicated the role of parents. Number two is this, and I'll deal with this much more quickly, is that we have unhealed father and mother wounds. That's why our nation is as dysfunctional as it is. Now, listen to me very, very carefully. There is no such thing as a perfect parent. I know your parents weren't perfect. I understand that. Your parents weren't perfect. I can say my parents weren't perfect. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You as a parent aren't perfect either. And, and, and somewhere along the way, we've got to understand we're not looking for perfection. We're, we're just looking for consistency. And, and, we're, and we're looking for stability. And we're looking to bring back some things that need to take place in our households. I honestly believe this, that if we can get healed... Because if you don't get healed of whatever wounds you're carrying, all you're going to do, and you've heard us say this before, is hurt people, hurt people. Wounded people, wound people. We've got to be healed, we've got to be whole, and then we can begin to transmit that wholeness through a new generation down through their generations. And, and so we've got to realize that we have unhealed wounds going on in our lives. It's hard enough to have not been taught by a mentor or a parent, but to have been wounded by them. I mean, it's one thing just to have abdicated and checked out, but can you imagine the the woundings that take place? Those woundings open doors to rejection. Those woundings open doors to striving and perfectionism, and you name it. The enemy exploits these things. He comes into those unhealed, unresolved areas. There's a young man that I'm aware of right now. Tracy, you'll remember. I won't use his name. But let me tell you, he's full of potential. He's called to the ministry. He's a good-looking young man, talented, can play music, he can sing. Just a talented, talented young man. And in the last few years, his father came to him and basically looked at him and said that he, he determined that he was now gay. So he was going to leave him, his son, and he was going to leave his mom, and he was just going to follow his heart. And it put a hole so deep in that young man that now, and he, he doesn't get it yet, and I hope somewhere, someplace, he'll listen to a voice that can begin to get inside of him. But that wound has become so deep inside of him that to affirm his manhood, and he doesn't get this, but it's the truth, to affirm his manhood, he sleeps with anything that has a skirt on. And the whole time, he's just functioning in this dysfunctional manner. Is this young man responsible for his behavior? Of course he is. He is absolutely responsible for his behavior, but the dysfunction was birthed out of an unhealed wound. We live in a wounded world. Our world is wounded and we want to blame somebody, blame someone else. We're going to, we're going to find some way to fix ourselves by throwing money at it or throwing something at it or, you know, get government started. And this isn't a political speech. I'm just simply saying to you that if we don't get these basic foundational biblical concepts back in us, it won't matter who's in the White House. Won't matter. We live in a wounded world that doesn't know it and doesn't get it. So what does this mean practically? Number one, it means that the enemy has exploited this to accelerate his plan of destruction. Anytime a biblical precept is ignored, it becomes ground for confusion and dysfunction. Anytime you elect not to obey what God says needs to be implemented in your life, it becomes grounds for confusion. Because life won't work right outside of his ways and his precepts. 
Anytime a wound is left unresolved, it becomes a door into your life for oppression and for bondage. So you just can't say, I don't want to deal with it. Secondly, it causes us to fear the proper place of spiritual dads, spiritual moms, mentors in our life. When you start talking about mentors, when you start talking about finding a spiritual dad or a spiritual mom, when you start talking about delegated authority, when you talk about discipling or mentoring, watch people begin to withdraw. They'll begin to say, oh, you know, I just don't want anybody in my business. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's control. I think that's crossing a line. Can I just share something in my life? For me... I had, I had a fear. I had a fear of, of, of a mentor or fear of spiritual authority or fear of a, of a spiritual father that was born in disappointment. For me, the reason I sort of kept it at arm's length for a long time was because of disappointment. Through the years, I've had so many pictures in my mind put there that have birthed disappointment by those who were authorities in my life. I reached the place... That my faith was shut down because, listen to me, some of you will recognize this. Some of you won't understand this, but there'll be a few of you that'll get what I'm about ready to say. My faith had been shut down because in my mind and in my spirit, I began to believe that if I don't expect anything, I can never be disappointed. Disappointment had cut me so deep from those who were over me in the Lord somehow. I said, I lived with such disappointment. That I just said to myself, you know what, Kevin, just don't expect anything anymore. If you just don't expect anything, you'll never be disappointed. And the only problem with that is this, is that it translates over into your relationship with God as well. And pretty soon I started to live like, well, God, I just won't expect anything from you either. So I could never be disappointed in you. And that is convoluted. That is error. That is wrong. For some of you... The reason you have a fear is because you were abused by an authority. May not have been your biological parents, may have been. But you had an authority in your life that abused you. Maybe you had an authority, a teacher, someone in your life that embarrassed you, that wounded you, that hurt you. So a fear has suddenly cropped up in your life and you don't want anything to do with anybody that could look into your life or even speak into your life. You're afraid that somehow or some way you're going to be exposed. You're, you fear that somehow someone will know that you aren't perfect. Can I just share this with you? We know that already. You're not perfect. You fear rejection. You fear you'll be controlled. You fear somehow someone's going to do something unrighteous with you. And what has happened is we are a messed up society. Because we have these fears. You say, well, well there has been authority that's gone wrong. Sure there is. There's been government that's gone wrong and we haven't got rid of government. And you had a boss one time that went wrong, but you still work. There's all sorts of things that go wrong that you just keep. I mean, I could go down to Publix. I had something go wrong at Publix the other day. I still shop there. We've got to understand, we've got to break through these fears because God hath not given us a spirit of fear. But a power and of love and of a sound mind. The enemy keeps us in this fear in order that he can keep us in this dysfunctional state. So how do we rectify this? How do we change this? How do I find and how do I follow a mentor? Four quick things and I'm done. Number one, you got to recognize you need someone to help you change. 
You've heard me and others smarter than I say that if you could change and become whole on your own, you'd be there already. You need someone to help you get there. Truth is, we all need people in our life to help us get to to the place of functionality. Do you see why the enemy tries to lie to you and keep you in unforgiveness and he keeps you in your bitterness and he keeps you in your disappointment and in your distrust? If he can keep you locked down in that place, you'll never reach out for any kind of help. It's interesting that when when Satan wants to destroy your life, he always puts a person that he can use in your path. You need to realize that when God wants to bless your life, he will always put a person that he will use who will do the same thing, help you get to your future. Number two, you must pursue. I want everyone to say this with me. Say, I must pursue, everyone. One more time. Now, the reason I say that to you is because you must pursue your mentor and desire what they have. Now, you, you may not like Mike Murdoch, and, and, and uh, we watch Mike Murdoch on occasion, have a number of his books, and he made a statement one time that really was revelational to me, and it was this. You have no right to anything that you have not pursued. You have no right to anything that you have not pursued. I remember early in my early days, now I've been preaching the gospel a lot of years, I was in my mid to late 20s. I will never forget, this picture is indelibly etched in my mind, I was at a at a pastor's retreat. It was a denominational pastor's retreat. It was in Northern California. And all of us and our wives were taking a boat ride on this wonderful lake. It was like a, a, a steamboat ride that had been set up by our district superintendent. All the pastors and their wives of the district were there. And so we, were, we, had, we had rented out this boat and we were all on this boat. And we're visiting and fellowshipping and talking. And off in the distance, I could see the district superintendent that was standing there. And he was making his rounds. And I can remember thinking as he was making his rounds, oh, I, I, want, I, I want him to stop and talk to me. He, oh, I so want him to stop and talk to me. Please let him stop and talk to me. And I mean, it was inside of me, man. Let him stop and talk to me. Let him stop and talk to me. Let him stop and talk to me. And praise God, he stopped and talked to me. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, okay, what's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal. The big deal about that is, 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 is really, it's, 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 it's a function of rejection, really. And that's what was going on in my life at the time. And that is, is that I wanted the universe to move for me. I wanted everybody to move for me. You all move to fix me. You all move to affirm me. You all move to make me feel good about myself. And we have to realize that, that as I tell on myself... I'm telling you, that was not the right order. As much as I liked him coming over and talking to me, the truth of the matter is that God's order is this. Not that those who are over us pursue us, but we must begin to pursue them. Now, I tell you what, we just flipped the whole church world upside down with that one statement. Because truth of the matter is, if if pastor doesn't talk to me, if pastor doesn't see me, if Tracy doesn't talk to me, if Tracy doesn't see me, if my connect leader doesn't call me, if this person doesn't reach out to me, well, I'll just, I'll just do this, I'll just do that. Hey, you know what? You just need to grow up. 
Break out of that like I had to break out of that. And if you desire something, then get up off your... And go for it. Go for it. Pursue it. And I remember, and it hasn't been that many years ago, when I looked at Trace and I got that revelation and I said to her, in fact, I'll never forget the first time I saw Pastor Van. He was ministering at a Bethany conference. And Pastor Van's one of our overseers. And, and I, I, I looked at Trace and I said, I'd really like to get to know him. And instantly I was clicking back into that old mentality of, I wish he'd come by and talk to me. I wish you'd come by and say something to me. There, there were 6,000 people there. There was a snowball's chance in Gehenna of him coming and finding me who he didn't even know. And so you know what? I had to come to the conclusion. I must pursue him. I want to know him. I'm going to pursue him. I've even told Van this. I told Van, I said, I didn't know whether you would want me around or not. I decided I was just going to keep pursuing you. I, I pay for his plane ticket. I want you to come. Let me hang around you. I'll stop at your place. I'll take you to lunch. It's of value to me. There are some things that I see that I would like to access, and that is of value to me. So I pursue that. I pursue Pastor Rod. I pursue Larry Stockstill. Because there's something I can see in their life that I really want. And truth is, if you desire an anointing, if you desire something, maybe I don't have it all together, and maybe Trace doesn't have it all together, and maybe we don't have it all together, but there are a couple things here and there we probably do have together. And if there's something in there that you want, then come and get it. I don't believe if anyone has ever said that they would take me to lunch or invite me to dinner, that I have said no. Food is the way to the anointing. You need to pursue some things. Come on, get up and pursue some things. Come on, it's time to get up and pursue a career. Get up and pursue your job. Some things you got to pursue. That's what hunger and thirst means. It means pursuit. As the deer panted for the water, so my soul longeth after you. Pursue the Lord. Seek the Lord. Find those that seem to have some things and, and, and take them to dinner. Don't be a cheapskate. I, I can tell you at a time somebody said, I really want to get with you, Pastor. I really like to visit with you. And I showed up for lunch and uh, he thought he was blessing me. He handed me a coupon for lunch that day. You say, what? That mean everybody has to buy you lunch? No, you don't have to do anything for me. I really mean it. I'm not looking for anybody to do that. I'm just simply saying, change your mentality. If there's something you see, you've got to change your mentality to pursue. What's it worth to you? Put some energy behind you. got to pursue and desire. Do you realize even Jesus, I'm just telling you, he is such a great model. At age 12, you remember where he was found? When his parents had already left town out of Jerusalem, he was found in the temple asking the priests and the rabbis questions and listening to their interactions. Jesus said, y'all go back to the hometown. I'm pursuing some things here. And when he was getting rebuked by his mom, he said, I must be about my father's business. I want this. I desire this. We've got to begin to pursue, 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 pursue God. People say, well, why isn't God doing anything in my life? Pursue Him. Pursue Him. 
I got to let that one go. Boy, I feel there's an anointing to preach right on number two right here. Number three, you have to believe, you have to trust that they have your best interests at heart. The reason parents can be effective, now I am talking about natural parents, is because there is built-in trust. I mean, unless you are highly violated, most of the time parents, because of their place in a child's life, has a built-in trust that exists there. Now, again, if it's violated, there's going to be some problems even in that. But if it's in a, in a good situation, you have confidence that someone is going to look at your life and tell you what they think, and, and there's not going to be any repercussion in the relationship. Now, I want everyone to listen to me, young people. I especially want you to listen to me really carefully. This is important. Your reaction to your parents... And your reaction to your mentors is being carefully documented by God. I'm telling you, every time you cop an attitude with your parents, God notes that. Every time you won't listen to what they're trying to put into your life, God notes that. No, you do not know everything at age 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, 21, 32. You do not know everything. And it's being documented by your God. Because this is what God does. God uses, yes he does, he will use mom and dad to speak to you. Is it not almost funny, comical, if it weren't hurtful at times, that we can carry our children into the pastor or to the youth pastor or carry our children over to our next door neighbor and have them talk to the kids, and they will hear from them the same thing mom and dad has been trying to tell them now for years at times. But why do they hear it from them and not mom and dad? It's not mom and dad's fault. It's stiff-necked, hard-headed spirits that need to be softened. And it's softened when you realize that when you, when you alienate who God may be using, God notes it. And I'm telling you, there is the sowing and reaping concepts. There is the concepts of it's all going to come back. You know, we don't believe in karma, but all karma is, is what a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so I'm just telling you, man, you say, well, you're trying to scare me. Yeah, I'm trying to majorly scare you. That God's voice may actually be coming through mom and dad, because I have found very few, very few moms and dads whose highest desire in life is to screw up their kids. I know very few parents that stay awake at night making lists together. In other words, Tracy and I do not go to bed at night. I just speak to Kaylin. We do not go to bed at night. And we turn our lights on when everyone else in the house is asleep. And we look at each other. And we pull out our secret notepads from under the mattress. And we say, what can we do? To foul up Kaylin's life this week. And we begin to share with each other little nuggets of torment. Tracy will say something and I go, oh, oh, that's good, that's good. No, that's not what we do. Not what we do at all. In like fact, most of the time we're sitting there figuring, what, what, what can we do to facilitate a dream? What can we do to help them get to where God would want them to be? What can we do? 
What can we do to help keep them out of trouble? What can we do to keep them from getting detoured early in life into things they don't need to be involved in? What can we do? What can we do? What can I do, oh God, to scare away every boy that would come her direction? Now that may be tormenting. I guess we could debate on that one. Are you with me? You gotta trust. You gotta trust that they got your best interest at heart. Number four, lastly, you must apply what they tell you to do. Now, I, I, I knew when I was beginning to do this, I was thinking, this is so simplistic. But it actually is very, very important because hearing advice is not the key to success. Applying advice is the key to success. You can predict the success of a person by their ability to follow instruction. Did you hear me? You can predict the success of a person by their ability to follow instructions. Whether it's your children and you tell them to do something and they don't do it, I can predict their success in life. Unless that is apprehended and changed, they're going to have a hard time living life. I'm telling you, moms and dads, especially the, the littler kids, please, when you give them instructions, make them follow through. Because if you don't, you're going to have problems with teachers. You're going to have problems in church with, with Sunday school teachers or, or little fisher directors or planet shakers directors or youth pastors. I'm telling you, because if, if, if the whole week they hear you say something and they blow you off, then why don't they think they can't get by with it when they get to other places? They've got to know that, that it's not just hearing, it's obeying. And so you've got to make sure they're just not hearers of the word, but doers also. In fact, I just decided that I'm going to set up some ways in the future. I don't know how, when, how I'm going to implement this, and I don't want to scare people away. You know, whenever I say things like this, I'm sure I'm going to probably scare somebody away. I don't mean to do that. Just, just listen to it, though. You know, it's like, it's like I have people that'll call up, that, that really aren't attached to the church, but they, they want counseling. And, and I don't really mind doing that. I, I don't mind reaching out to people and being compassionate with people. But it's interesting that, that, that if you can get somebody, and this is what I've decided to do, I'm going to look at people and see if they can sit in service six times in a row. Can you sit in service six times in a row? Because if you can't follow that simple instruction, then what makes me think that anything I'm going to say in an office is going to change your life? Sitting under the word for six Sundays in a row. If they, if they can't obey a very simple instruction, this is the instruction, six times Sunday, 10 o'clock. Your whole life may be dramatically changed. You, you, you would say, well, well, what if they don't? What if they don't? Come every other or something like that. And I'm not talking about those who work or something. I mean, I understand there may be schedules. So I understand what I'm saying. But, but I'm simply saying, why waste your time giving pearls? Ah, oh, you said it. I didn't. Are you with me? See? You have to follow through on some things if you want real change. And this is the thing I've come to the conclusion. This really was liberating. I can make you do nothing. 
Mentoring is an interesting thing. Even as a parent and as children get older, you, you lose some of your ability to force things to happen. You just, you can't force everything to take place. Hopefully you've done your work good enough when they were real little. So when they get older, it's like my boys, they could probably take me now. They're, you know, Tyler's pumping iron and, 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 and Clay's pretty hefty. And I remember when Clay was 16, 17 years old. I'll tell a story on him. I mean, he was sure he could take me. And we had us a very intense discussion one day upstairs. And he looked at me, and I'll tell the story on him now because he'd laugh. But I saw the fist. And when I saw that, I looked at him and I said this, you better make your first shot your best. Because the Bible gives me the ability to exercise self-defense. And I will be all over you. And all of a sudden, it went. Now, the reason it went that way is because I took care of that one at about three years old. You want to know why there's this upheaval in homes and all the rest? It's because some things were never taken care of till that moment. Because, because we ejected from the concept parenting whether it's natural biological or whether it's even spiritual but i can make you do nothing any authority particularly when you get older is completely voluntary completely voluntary you don't you can you can listen to me teach or preach and you don't you can walk out of here and go pastor and you know you don't have to listen to me but there may be a day a judge slaps his gavel and you will listen to him. <laughs> I know it won't happen to you. I've seen it too many times through the years. There'll be a time a police officer will pull you over and I'll guarantee you, you'll listen to him. I guarantee you. So why not now make the choice to step into a relationship Somewhere with someone, someones who can begin to really look and implement things that aren't there to control you, harm you, hurt you, thwart you, trip you, mess you up in any way, shape or form. There, it's, it's just a relationship that says, let me help you not learn what I've learned. Let me help you not experience all the pain that I've experienced. Let me help you really get to where you really want to be if you'll just listen. And take what it is I got to share with you right now. Let's stand, huh? I had that pause right there at the end because I had just one more thing. I, I feel like it's the Lord that just said, save it. So, Lord, I'm going to save that, but now I'm going to pray. For everyone that's gathered here today. Lord, it's a day that we honored our moms and we are thrilled to be able to do that. We appreciate them. Usually they're the ones on the front lines of family and uh, parenting even. Lord, I just right now for the men. Just confess and repent, Lord, for the times we've just abdicated our part in that equation. Thank you that faithful women picked it up. But Lord, right now I pray that as you strengthen and encourage moms, that you would cause us as 
as men and as fathers, Lord, to just be rekindled to the things we need to do. It's not Father's Day, but it is a day that we're just reminded of the need for a parent. Lord, I pray as well for spiritual mentors right now. Lord, I believe that this church has been called to create spiritual mentors. I believe this church has as a part of all that we do to assist people in maturing, to assist people in stepping up, to assist people in arising so that they can demonstrate a life that works and functions. It's not a perfect life, but it's one that can at least have places of abundance and prosperity and peace and joy and hope. Lord, I pray right now that as we've laughed some this morning and as we've considered and listened and all the things that took place, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit himself would come and, Lord, that you would put the period on the end of whatever sentence it was we needed to hear. That, Lord, you talk to us all right now about what it means to be a mentor and to get ourselves under one that can really help us in our life. Lord, there are people here that are struggling with their emotions. There are people here that are struggling with their parenting. There are people here that are struggling with their finances. There are people here that are struggling in their spiritual walk, whether it be, you know, praying and reading their Bible and just being consistent and faithful and on target. There are people here that are probably struggling in their marriage. There are people here struggling with how to get to their future. Lord, I, I suppose there's as many struggles as there are bodies in this place. Lord, help them to realize this morning that you work through people and that there's somebody that can really help them get to from where they are to where they ultimately want to be. Lord, I, I believe a lot of that resource exists in this local body. So, Lord, I pray that their eyes would be open. Pray that their hearts would be open, that they would eclipse their fears, that they would eclipse whatever anxieties or concerns. And they would just dive in and take a chance, take a shot. Just as we're all standing here, there are some folks in this room, truth of the matter is, and, and I don't want you raising your hand, you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, but truth of the matter is, you grew up in a home and at some level there was abuse. For some of you it was physical. Maybe you were, you were whipped or spanked or over, over the top. You know, there, I believe in corporal punishment, but I don't believe in abuse. But it was just over the top. Some of you may have been sexually abused. May not even have been by parents. May, it may have been by, by someone in authority. Some of you were abused verbally. And right now... I believe the Holy Spirit is enlightening you to the fact that because of that experience, it has shut you down from input into your life. And, and you know what? God's not asking you to react to that. He's asking you to be healed from that. Would you open up your heart right now? And I'm just going to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd begin to heal the memories. I pray that you'd begin to break the influence and the power and the ties of that abuse in people's life. Lord, the enemy has used that not only to harm them at that particular moment, but it's been harming them now for years because it's caused them to be reluctant to trust and to believe that someone could actually be righteous in their interaction with them. 
Lord, I pray right now that you bring healing and wholeness and completeness to that area. Let them be released from that. I drive out every devil right now in Jesus' name that has attached itself to that wound. I drive it out. I say let the blood cleanse that in Jesus' name right now. In the name of Jesus. Here's what you do right now. You don't have to say it very loud, but just say it loud enough that it's a whisper. and say You just have to say, Lord, that's me. I receive that. I receive that. That's me. Lord, we drive out every power that has sought to stop that person right now from achieving God's best. In Jesus' name. Some of you listen to me right now. You've been disappointed. When I told that disappointment story, you said, boy, I hear right where you're coming from. Now, I didn't ask the previous group to raise their hand because sometimes that can be a sensitive issue. And I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But, you know, disappointment is just something that should be relatively easy. Say, yeah, I've been disappointed. I've been disappointed. I said it out loud. How about you? Have you been disappointed? And you need to get your hope back? Just lift your hand. See, look at that. It's, isn't that incredible how much disappointment we live with? In the name of Jesus, I break that demonic power of disappointment right now. I don't deny it didn't happen. And I don't deny it wasn't a disappointment. But I deny its influence over you right now. That's determining how you look at life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I declare, Spirit of God, let hope begin to move into those hearts again. Let hope begin to fill them up. In the mighty name of Jesus. Believe again. Come on, believe again. Believe it can be different. Believe it can be different. God can make it different. Yes, He can. Yes, He can. Don't let the enemy steal one more minute of you thinking somehow, if I just don't expect anything, I can never be disappointed. Isn't that great? The enemy basically has just made you walk with your natural eyes. Just knock that off. Get your faith back. Get your hope back again. Tomorrow can be a better day. And if you'll begin to trust God and believe again, you're going to see God do some amazing things. I can't guarantee a disappointment-free life, but I can guarantee you that God will move in amazing ways when you begin to expect again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How about this, with just our heads bowed and our eyes closed? How many of you would say right now? I'm talking probably to a more younger set, but right now, just say, Pastor, before we go, could you pray for me too? Because I need, I need an anointing. I need some wisdom. I need some help parenting. I need some help right now. Would you just, can you lift your hands and just say, remember me? See, I got hands going up. I need some help. I need some help. We all need some help. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for all these parents that are here, especially those that raise their hands right now. Lord, I ask that you right now would give them an anointing on their life. You said in 1 John 2, 27 that there is an anointing for all things. So, Lord, I believe there's a parental anointing that needs to come back to the people of God. I believe it's not only skill. It's not only information. It's not only follow through. But, Lord, there's an anointing to do it. And I pray for an anointing upon our moms. And I pray for an anointing upon our dads. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them supernatural ability to move in compassion and mercy, yes, but also justice and righteousness. And that, Lord, we would be just like Jesus who walked perfectly in both. Lord, I pray that that kind of an anointing would come. That you'd give us words that would stick. That you'd give us discernment that we could see around the corner. 
That, Lord, when things seem blind to us, that, Lord, all of a sudden it'd be open to us. Lord, I pray for parents today that they'll never be caught flat-footed again, but there'll be a discernment in their house. Amen. That long before that child steps the wrong direction, the Holy Ghost in that parent will say, watch them. Watch them. Hallelujah. Come on now. You, you may have legitimately been controlled as a child, but don't you react to that. There is a godly, godly, I believe godly control. I believe it gets released as they get older, but there is. I, I, I'm going I'm to direct their steps. I'm going to guide their path. I'm going to point them in the right direction. I'm not going to let them experience destruction because I did. Come on now, listen to me. Everybody, I've heard this said, well, you know, they all have their prodigal moments. I break that in Jesus' name. I'm going to believe that my children are going to be found in the house of God. Jesus was 12 years old and he was found in the house of God. That's what I'm believing for the Jesus model, not the prodigal model. Come on now, we got to get that in our system. Amen. So I release that anointing right now. I release confidence in parents right now. You're doing good. Come on now, don't, don't grow weary in well-doing. You're doing good. They'll wear you out, amen? Isn't it true kids will wear you out? I mean, they're good at wearing you out. They're good at playing mom against dad and just wearing you out. I mean, they'll just ask and ask and ask and ask. And let me tell you something. I just speak resiliency in moms and dads right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I believe that there is going to be a generation that will arise out of legacy and will arise out of your greater body. There's going to be a generation that will arise that will be a light in the midst of darkness. That will be a light in the midst of dysfunction. That will operate according to pattern in the midst of everything that's out of order and falling apart. I believe, Lord, you're calling a people to be exactly that. And Lord, let it be. Let it be in me according to your word. Lord, I thank you for everyone that's here this morning. Let them have a great day as we honor all of our moms. Let us be a blessing to them somehow, some way. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen and Amen. Put your hands together. Hallelujah. Amen. God is good. God is good. Well, before you go, we didn't get to do it during uh, the release of worship. But now you can hug some necks and shake some hands. And God bless you. You are released. Enjoy a great Mother's Day. God bless you. I hope to see many of you in the middle of the week. <laughs>